Hillcrest towards Clanton. Um, turn around. I was driving down Clanton. I'm turning around and see if I can find him again. This is at Glover. Subject 1074, electronic ID aware. NCJA 1014. Headquarters to 11 1205. NCJA 1014. According to Wikipedia, hemp or industrial hemp is a variety of the cannabis plant species that is grown specifically for the industrial uses of its derived products. That's a mouthful. It is one of the fastest growing plants and one of the first plants to be spun into usable fiber for our ancestors over 50,000 years ago. However, there is now a, pardon the pun, growing problem for law enforcement throughout the country concerning hemp, specifically because it sometimes is confused with the cannabis plant that serves as a source of the drug marijuana and the drug preparation hashish. Hello, everyone. This is Kirk Puckett. Today's podcast topic may seem a little odd at first, but the Justice Academy's resident expert, Bill Laux, a narcotics and gang and instructor on the West Campus will be talking about how hemp has already caused issues for some agencies, and more importantly, how cops on the street can avoid creating more problems. Once again, we are social long distancing with me in one city, Bill in another, and our producer director, Ramona Higgins, completing the trifecta by putting this all together from her home. Bill, welcome, and let me be the first to admit, when I started hearing discussions of hemp being a commodity and not illegal, I kind of had to do a double take. The fact that the Justice Academy wanted to feature this as a topic leads me to believe that I may not be alone in my thought processes. Absolutely not. This is a, this is a new quandary for law enforcement, and it has a misunderstanding with it where a lot of people think this has just recently come up, and this has actually been in play since 2014. Um, the fact that it's hemp is derived from the cannabis sativa L plant. Cannabis sativa is the same plant that will house delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol or your THC. Anytime I'm talking about THC, that's what I'm talking about. Your main psychoactive ingredient. Um, the hemp plant, you're defining piece from that, from the actual marijuana or weed plant, is the concentration of THC, which is 0.3% or less. And again, this has come around since 20, been here since 2014. But for law enforcement, it becomes a huge quandary because it looks like weed, it smells like weed. The industry regulations on both the state and the federal side differ from each other. A lot of things are rules versus laws. There's not a lot of clear definitive answers out there. And there's a big fight on the federal side because of the 2018 Farm Bill, how this was moved from the Drug Enforcement Agency or the DEA and shifted to the FDA, the Federal um, Food and Drug Agency, along with USDA. Okay, so that sounds like you just gave us a little primer in a, in a hemp 101 now, but let's be a little bit more specific and talk about what its primary use is in the open market. In the open market right now, there are approximately 2,000 plus products containing hemp and hemp-derived CBD, cannabidiol, everything from tinctures to oils, lotions, creams, salves, plastics, um, containers, rope, textiles, 
everything all the way to door panels in large-scale auto manufacturing companies um, to reinforced concrete that they actually derive the term hempcrete, which is a stronger concrete that is reinforced uh, through hemp fibers, and it costs about half as it would for regular reinforced concrete. So there's a lot of different uses out there for it. Okay, so again, I'm going to go back to my own lack of knowledge, but I believe that most cops on the street hear the word hemp and immediately think of something illegal. What's the difference? And I think you've touched on this just a little bit, but if you don't mind going into a little bit more detail and talk about the difference between hemp and marijuana. The difference between hemp and marijuana breaks down to if product has less than 0.3% on a dry weight basis of Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol or THC concentration. If it exceeds 0.3%, then it is federally classified as marijuana. Um, For cops on the street, if you're thinking about this in the lab analysis, we'll have field tests out there. Those field tests cannot tell me the percentage of THC concentration out there. It can give me some sort of indicative test and everything. But when you're talking about that specific, about something saying 0.3% on a dry weight basis of Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, you're talking about a quantitative analysis that has to be done in a lab. For us roadside, that's not possible. You stop somebody at three o'clock in the morning with a bag of what appears to be weed, smells like weed to what you've been trained previously to be weed, and somebody says it's hemp. How do you make that evaluation? And there are tools out there. It just takes a little bit of education, a little bit of opening your mind, because as far as cops, we used to not have to go any further. We're in a non-recreational state, a non-medical marijuana state. So anytime we smelled the odor of marijuana, we had the right to seize, arrest, those types of things. Now we have the odor of marijuana. We now have to make evaluation. Is this marijuana or is this truly hemp? Officers can do it. A lot of officers don't know how to do it because this creates a whole different set of totality of circumstances for you to have to evaluate on the scene. Um, For you to get comfortable with it, it comes down to an education perspective. And that's where we at the Justice Academy are leading the way because nationwide, there is no states that are putting this type of training out to their cops. I teach cops from all over the country outside of North Carolina and even The guys and gals that come in from medical and recreational states, marijuana states, say the same thing. We are having a hard time making a roadside determination on whether something is or is not hemp or marijuana. And it's it's very problematic. But unfortunately for cops, again, this came out in 2014. We're six years behind the power curve. It's not our fault. Over a period of time, we started seeing it more, started seeing involved in the law more, started hearing more about it. All of a sudden, we started seeing the grows pop up, people driving down the road with it, law enforcement interactions with it, lawsuits. It finally spun enough people's heads to say, hey, we have to put an effective product out here for the guys and gals that are already in harm's way and deal with enough on a day-in, a day-out basis. Um, 
there's nothing to fear about this. I do have to let officers know that because a lot of cops sit down and say, I'm going to get sued off this. We can get sued at any point in time, but we're going to give you the right tools to make these definitive answers. But again, we can't make a roadside determination on whether or not that is 0.3% on a dry weight basis. We have to evaluate things via a larger scale of totality of circumstances. Gotcha. And that's very, very helpful information. And I think if people have been riding around the state of North Carolina, they've seen what I have seen and these little pop-up shops. And we continue to see this acronym CBD, CBD oil, so on and so forth. So here's kind of a a two-part question for you. Exactly what is CBD and does it have any medical value as I have seen it proposed to, to possibly have? Well, CBD is short for cannabidiol, and it's a compound derived from hemp. It's basically one of the molecular pieces that are in there, one of the chemical compounds that are extracted through various extraction processes. It's a different but equally useful compound than THC is, which is the phytochemical that produces your euphoric high. That's what's going to get you high. CBD itself is non-psychoactive, and it works in conjunction with the human endocannabinoid system. More specifically, our CB1 and CB2 receptors that were actually medically discovered um, somewhere around 93 or 94. Um, It's a non-psychoactive chemical compound, though. Um, Technically, both THC and CBD uh, chemicals are isomers. They share the same chemical composition, but their atomic arrangements differ. They're both considered cyclic compounds, which means one or most series of atoms in the compounds are connected to form a ring. Now, CBD comes with an open ring if you're looking at it from a molecular standpoint, benzodrine-type rings and stuff. And it has a hydroxyl and alkaline group, while THC supports a closed ring with an ester group. That's a big amount to say to say you've got two main products within that are sought after in what you would call cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, or cannabis ruderalis, any of those three plants, THC and CBD. Now, as far as medical, what is out there? There are a lot of claims that... I've seen people using this and you've seen this pop up like you discussed about all of these shops have CBD, something written on them. Um, Most of these you can see is what we would refer to as smoke shops too, the place where I can go in and buy, say, a glass pipe that's quote unquote for novelty use only. Only 18 and up can buy it. But that same store probably has the big neon sign or flags flying out front that says CBD and they also sell things like Kratom, other substances in there. But what you also see is in the market, in a lot of health food stores, you see hemp, you see CBD derived products. These are CBD products are being put in cosmetics, all kinds of different products. But there is some sort of medical claims and there is some sort of medical value. I'm not a medical doctor or anything like that. I've seen it personally. I've seen some of the clinical trials that have come into place for the FDA's approval of Epidiolex. Epidiolex is a anti-seizure medicine that is set for two very rare types of seizures that are usually found in children ages two years up to adults and older. So just by the fact that this is a cannabis-derived product, 
and it has an approved FDA approved medication tells me 100% that there is medical uh, interventions with this. There is good medical purposes, whether it's for sleep, whether it's for PTSD, whether it's for anxiety and stuff. And that comes from a different variations of other cannabidiols or other cannabinoids that they have within CBD, whether it's cannabidolic acid or CBDA, uh, cannabinol, CBN, cannabigoril, CBG, cannachromine, cannabichromine, CBC, various other uh, chemicals that are coming out of that plant. So yes, there it's, it's popping up everywhere, but with that, when it pops up as fast as it is, you have to, it creates a lot of divide in the market because there's all kinds of different prices that are sitting out there for these products. Some of these products, you can buy a bottle that's labeled as 1500 milligrams and it'll be $15. And you'll go to another company and they'll have the same bottle of 1500 milligrams containing CBD, 1500 milligrams CBD within the bottle. And the bottle will be $125. So that tells you right there that there's a lot of skewed and illicit products out there on the market that are falsely advertised out there. Right. Well, while we were having that, well, you were having that chemistry discussion <laughs> and I was getting schooled um, and having flashbacks of college chemistry classes, kind of a, another question popped up. And I want to just drop back and punt just a moment about the processing and possession. So my line of questioning is, let's say a law enforcement agency receives a Crime Stoppers tip and it's what the caller believes is marijuana production, although it's probably going to be hemp production. So how will a street cop know? And you talked a little bit about this, but let's let's just kind of take it on Kirk and Bill walk in the door and we see this operation going on. How are we going to know and what can we do to know whether A, it's legal or not, and B, to, to look for the differences and what those are? The first thing would be if we got the call in the field. There's a database that's available, and it's run by the North Carolina Department of Agriculture, and it is the registered hemp portal. It, people that are registered or licensed to grow hemp via the Department of Agriculture here in the state of North Carolina. It's a free database. The database is for law enforcement use, and it's updated every 24 hours. Because everyone in patrol cars has either MDCs, mobile data computers, some sort of internet connections, smartphones, you have some sort of access. This is a website database. You log into the database. Say if I did get the call, say I get dispatched and somebody tells me the caller said at 12 Elm Street, they drove by a location that has a strong odor of marijuana. As they were driving by the location, they got closer. They noticed what appeared to be thousands of marijuana plants, three, four, five foot tall in the area. They give a location. The caller's no longer there. There's no follow on, like talk to an officer. What do you do? Well, the first thing, if me and you are sitting in the car, I'm going to say, let's look at the database real quick. If I see in the database that 12 Main Street is a licensed grow operation, pretty much done at that point in time, that tells me that it is hemp. I really have no legal obligation to do any further on activities. I've looked at what I know is a government database that is for law enforcement that is updated every 24 hours. I'm good at that point in time. But say if we didn't have that information or we couldn't get into the database at that time, something was down, the internet was down, and we have to arrive at the location. Well, first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk to the farmer. 
and ask them about the licensee. Who has the license? Um, if somebody looks at you and goes, uh, what license? <laughs> if I pull up and people are taking off running, there's another clue too. It's not that hard to evaluate. But if I pull up and somebody gets off a tractor and comes up and says, hey, how you doing? Is everything okay? And I introduce myself and say, hey, you know, I see a lot of plants here that I, is it hemp or weed? Somebody called, thought it was marijuana and they go, oh no, this is hemp. This is my farm. And they show me their license that comes from the Department of Agriculture. I'm pretty much done at that point in time. But what I will do is sit there and spend a few minutes by talking to that farmer and getting educated, building some great community relationships. Because on the flip side of this coin, man, there's a lot of farmers out there that are scared. And I've been to probably 63 separate grow locations here in the state of North Carolina, traveling through and teaching. And when I talk to the farmers, that's that's their biggest downfall. They're like, I, I think somebody's going to come and arrest me sometime because they're not going to know. And there's plenty of lawsuits circulating around nationwide that say, yeah, this is an issue. We as law enforcement don't know. But knowing the database, one, the licensing, two, is huge. The fact that when I showed up, that same farmer that got off the tractor and came up to me and talked to me versus jumping off the tractor and running away and dropping a pistol as they're running through the field, that creates a different scenario there. Okay. <laughs> that tells me something you. is wrong. <laughs> or as they say in the police business, that may be a clue. That's going to be a clue. <laughs> okay. So following this same discussion, and I want to, you mentioned the word lawsuit a while ago. I've got a question about that coming up, but um, just kind of another assumption on my part. I guess it's feasible that hemp can be grown in one state. Say, for instance, it's grown in North Carolina, but may have to be transported to another state for processing. So what kind of paperwork, if any, might a transporter have to show to law enforcement if they get stopped? Great question. Because when I talk about the irregularities in uh, federal and state rules and that these things are listed as rules and there's not a lot of clear definitive rules right now nationwide there is zero paperwork required the 2018 farm bill that was signed in in december of 2018 basically took hemp removed it from the federal controlled substance act um, put fda and usda in charge of it and labeled it as a commodity Part of the transportation with it being a commodity is walls under interstate commerce. So there you can't stop, prohibit any shipments of this type of product. Um, there's no licensing requirement to transport it from point A to point B. Say if I'm taking it from here and taking it into, say, Tennessee, which was an agency that I retired from in Tennessee, Metro Nashville, Tennessee Police Department. We saw this same thing unfold there. As we're talking about this, the the federal laws, one thing is clear about it is you can't prohibit the shipment of any hemp in any individual state or Indian tribal lands, whether that product is legal or illegal. USDA gives guidelines on their website that says if you're going to ship this product, meaning PS, FedEx, DHL, and yes, United States Postal Service, because it's 100% legal to ship it there, USDA actually has a letter on their website that they recommend you put, say, in a box if you're shipping 25 pounds of this from Edneyville, North Carolina to New York, New York. And it says that this is a legal product. You know, it is legal to ship through the Postal Service but it's a legal commodity. But there's nothing saying you have to have anything in hand. 
individual states have some individual rules. For example, Tennessee, if you're taking it from the farm and moving it anywhere in the state of Tennessee, if it's originated there, you have to fill out what's called a transportation notification form. It's online. The person who has, has the license has to fill that out. It tells you what vehicle that product is going to be in, tag, your make model, who's going to be driving that vehicle, their name, date of birth, their driver's license information, and that feeds into a database that law enforcement has. Say if they stop you roadside and you've got 2,000 pounds of this in the back of a U-Haul truck, you're not going to contain the smell of 2,000 pounds of hemp. And for a cop who's never come into contact with this, that smell as you walk up there, your first thought, if you hadn't heard anything else on hemp, had no idea of this, your first thought in your head is, I'm about to become officer of the month. <laughs> There's no way. This is this is crazy. You know, Nobody brought this to law enforcement's attention. So this is where this creates a gray area because there's a lot of, I guess you could say, failed issues in here. There is some statutes that say you cannot even be a licensee if you have a conviction, any felony drug-related conviction within the last 10 years of the date of conviction. But half of our successful farmers, as you look a lot here, are guys and gals that have come out of medical marijuana states. And some of those folks have histories but they're not the licensee. They're the growers. That's where we come back to this unusual plateau, because if I'm the licensee or if I'm the grower and I got caught, say, in South Carolina by SLED, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, growing 300 weed plants five years ago, somebody hired me to come in and grow hemp. I can grow it. I just can't be the licensee. I can be the employee. I can be the farm manager. I can be a farm hand. I can be an employee. I cannot be one of the key participants, though, in that. There's some obscurities between the state law, as it currently reads, and the federal USDA plan that regulates even who can touch or deal with this also. this But this goes back to, it's kind of a, a tangled spider weave, but everybody's got a piece of something stuck in there. Law enforcement has a foot and a leg in there, and they didn't even realize they were already in the spider web. Right. You know, our big our big side, our legislative folks and stuff like that, not knocking anybody here. You know, this is something that was intended to bring in revenue to our folks who have lost out, like our tobacco industry, since that's kind of shifted. You know, corn and soybean farmers. This is to bring economic growth back into our individual states. But there wasn't a lot of forethought from anyone involved in this pot um, where this could go. It could have been a lot better if somebody, if folks would have come to law enforcement on the front side and said, hey, how do we need to do this? What do we need to do law-wise? That's that's my opinion. Um, because I've seen the worst case scenario. I have actually been there in Nashville, Tennessee on a Saturday taking several thousands of pounds of hemp out of a storage unit that came in as a drug tip. On the way to take the stuff to the property room, my boss gets a call. It's from the vice governor of the state of Tennessee. First of all, when you get a phone call from the chief's office saying you need to answer the phone in about two minutes, the vice governor's going to call you. When the chief's calling you on Saturday, something's already going on. <laughs> the vice governor calls you and says, stop in place. What you actually have is hemp. I need you to go back 
to the storage unit location. The person that owns that is going to meet with you and show you a letter that is personally from me describing this, um, what this product is, that this is a legal commodity. And we looked at each other and was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so nobody notified law enforcement on this, you know? Yeah. So without saying it, we've got this this really, really nice, big, huge horse that can pull a great load. And in front of him is the cart. And he's like, now what? Yep. That's, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let, let's talk about some more of those possible issues. Uh, you and I talked about a couple of incidents that have already caused problems for law enforcement, which have mm -hmm. led to some lawsuits. So let me ask you just to talk about a couple of those for our listeners. About a year and a half within the last two years, there was a big article about a grandma getting arrested at Disney World in Florida. She was walking into Disney World. Um during article search, grandma with her family, grandma was found to have a bottle of CBD. Law enforcement there had not been notified of CBD. Anytime they heard the term, saw the term CBD, it was synonymous with coming from marijuana. Marijuana-derived product, not hemp-derived product. Grandma gets locked up. She goes through the entire booking process. Entire family vacations ruined. She has to make bond. This is in Florida. And a lot of people sit down and say, well, why is that important here? Well, two things. Number one, grandma happens to live here in North Carolina. And grandma lives about 45 minutes from where I'm sitting talking to everybody right now. Number two, because this happened at Disney World, Disney World is now named in the lawsuit. This is now an $18 million lawsuit. That's huge. That'll leave a mark. That's that's going to hurt. And the bad thing is that's going to get paid out. But the officer who made the seizure thought he was doing the right thing. And he was. He was doing what he had been taught, his training, his level of instructions, their policies and procedures. And he's still stuck. On the flip side, there's another lawsuit that is going on where an individual was hired to drive I think it was around 3,500 pounds of hemp from California to New York. Individual gets stopped in Texas by Texas DPS. Texas DPS looks at it like it's a complete interdiction stop. It's a rental vehicle, a U-Haul rental vehicle with cardboard boxes with over 3,500 pounds of what they thought was marijuana. The driver shows them paperwork and says, no, this isn't marijuana. This is hemp. And he shows them the paperwork that is called a COA or a certificate of analysis. DPS officers haven't been trained in this in Texas. Obviously, Texas is a source state, so it's an interdiction mecca. When I'm talking about source states, I'm talking about the four states that touch Mexico. And we know that 80 percent of all illicit controlled substances are pushed in via south of the border through those states. So they were looking at what they thought was 3,500 plus pounds of weed. They make notifications to the DEA. DEA sends out one of their task force officers. They do an interview with the driver. The driver said, I don't own this, but I was paid $2,500 to drive this from California to New York. DEA says, well, we think he's full of crap. They lock him up. They decide to adopt the case. That means the case is now going federal. Recently, and I've downloaded the entire lawsuit on the backside now, the federal government had dropped the charges. 
made motion, dismissed charges without prejudice. Because after this guy spent 30 days in jail, they figured out, oh, this is actually hemp. 30 days in jail. And it was actually 3,500 plus pounds of hemp and not marijuana. Ironically, within 48 hours of that, just a short period of time before, he had also been stopped in Arizona. Another interdiction mecca. Everything led them to believe that it was marijuana, except he spent less than 24 hours in jail there before they figured out this is probably going to be hemp. We need to let him go because we can't make that determination this fast. And they did. They let him go. So twice in the same trip, the guy ended up getting locked up twice. Wow. That's going to be a nasty, nasty, nasty lawsuit on the backside. And that's two. I can name multiple others. Yeah. So I guess the lesson to be learned for street cops that are listening to this is it's a new day and it may pay to kind of slow things down because as you uh, gave a great illustration of early, based on your training and experience, you know what marijuana looks like, what it smells like, and chances are this is what it's going to be. But now with this new day and this new spotlight shining down on the production of hemp, it's probably better for cops on the street now just to kind of step back a little bit, take a breath and, and slow this train down before we start bringing out handcuffs. Yeah. And there's several options that are going to help you make these decisions. Um, There's several great test kits that are out there. And I know that's been kind of an obscure thing with North Carolina, but we need to get back to this because as I've taught some of these courses throughout the state, I have magistrates that sit down and say, if an officer could have done a better interview, some sort of a roadside interview, some sort of field test to corroborate the information, knew what the paperwork looked like, then they themselves as the magistrates would not be unfortunately signing paperwork like search warrants and stuff like that um, for locations that were found to have hemp versus marijuana. And this takes a total approach because cops are only one piece of the criminal justice aspect. We have to bring in our district attorneys. We have to educate everybody. But at the Justice Academy, we have the ability to do that. If you call, we come to you I can put down eight hours of education in front of your officers, in front of your district attorneys, in front of your judges, in front of your magistrates, and it'll help you be a lot more comfortable and make a lot better sound decisions in this new commodity. Again, we didn't create this. In the end, if anybody stuck with it most, when I talked about that spider web, we went from ankle deep down to we're up in our gun belt in it already. Wow. Well, and again, kudos to the Justice Academy for having someone like you on board and at the same time trying to get out in front of this thing. I'm going to try to begin to close out our discussion on hemp by asking you to kind of look in your crystal ball for just a moment. And you mentioned this earlier about the number of grow operations in North Carolina, but I think it's it's good to kind of put it in perspective to talk about where we are with hemp production now in North Carolina and where you think it might be, say, three to five years down the road. Three to five years down the road, I would say we were we're going to grow probably four to five times. As of right now, today, I think there's somewhere around 1,500 plus registered growers for a state of North Carolina alone, licensed growers. Um, we're going to have some better regulations that have come out from the federal side because the USDA will unless something changes right now, we will fall under the USDA's plan as of November of 2021. 
because we don't right now, at least our Department of Agriculture does not have the statutory authority to file and put an individual North Carolina state plan into place. And that's because the hemp provisions got stripped out of the farm bill, the last farm bill that came out, because in my opinion, some of the obscurities here, there's a lot of unanswered questions. So we're going to go into the federal platform. I think in three to five years, we're going to have a lot better definitive guidance. We're going to have some better national standards that says, okay, if I'm transporting something from my harvest site, meaning my field, to the processing location, then there's going to be a particular amount of paperwork, some law enforcement notification, some sort of database, some sort of license, something that's going to be in there. This industry is not going to go away. We're not going to be able to unring this bill. We've got to say it happened. There's nothing we can do about it. We can only protect ourselves and help protect the people that we serve. Because if I make an unfortunate seizure that turns out to be hemp, I've messed up somebody's commodity. And I can expect that I'm going to get sued. And it's not frivolous. Somebody has to make up the money that was lost due to the degradation of product because it sat in the property room and it went from $900 a pound to, say, $90 a pound. Now, because it's not a CBD-rich product, it's something that's going to be more used for textiles because we've lost our CBD-rich content in it. Um, our processing facilities are also going to have a lot better guidance because right now there's a huge fight on the federal side with DEA because there is nobody really overseeing the processors. The DEA says, oh, we're overseeing the processors. And in their mind, they're still saying that converting this stuff is basically illegal because in a part of the extraction process, while it's sitting in these machines, while it goes into its crude distillate isolate forms, it will exceed the 0.3% THC. It gets diluted when it goes into the actual product, whether it's tinctures, oils, bath bombs, and stuff like that. But there is a period of time with that. Federal regulations say, yeah, that's classified as marijuana. But if you destroy the processing facility, then you also destroy the growers. Because what do you do with the product that you cannot process? And then you go back to square one. We take away a piece of economic growth that we've already opened the door. We can't close it. We've already opened the door. So we've got to have better, more sound regulations and a good firm foundation saying, okay, here's the line. Let's not cross this line. Well, there's an old adage in government that, that says nothing in government moves swiftly. It sounds like hemp production and growing has got to be an exception to that rule. We got to get a lot of people to the table and we got to get them there pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's Again, we're six years behind the power curve. And that's that's the biggest thing, too, with cops. Officers sit down and say, why did this stuff just pop up? And I look at them and say, it didn't just pop up. I found it, fortunately, by averting several lawsuits, by running into it. And I started immediately working with our district attorneys, immediately with our crime labs. Then immediately I started taking classes outside of the police venue all over and getting certifications to understand this from not only the legal level, but to understand it from the chemical and almost molecular side to understand what's good, what's bad, the trends, everything, the money. The other thing is, too, this is even though it's been removed from the Controlled Substance Act, banking is still not wide open. So a lot of these farmers are still dealing with cash-only type issues. Some of these guys and gals cannot bank yet. Some large-scale banks will not take their money yet because it's still not, there's still not a clear definitive line 
on the backside of the derivatives of this, whether it's CBD, whatever the case is. So it, it almost presents itself like it is an illicit operation, even though it's not. There's just, you got to take a little bit of time. In eight hours, I can make you comfortable in making these decisions with the databases because a lot of cops didn't know these databases existed. These field testing kits, what they're going to see at a location, how to talk to people, how to make these decisions and look at some examples that have been going on nationwide. When you are when you walk out of there, you'll be able to stick your chest out and say, I understand if I stop somebody at two o'clock in the morning with a bag of this, I can make that determination. I'm going to be comfortable enough with a roadside interview, with the totality of circumstances to be able to ensure that they either walk or they get locked up and understand that I'm pretty confident that I made the right decision with a, a degree of assurity to say, I don't feel like I'm going to end up walking into a, law, a lawsuit because I made an inadvertent seizure because I didn't know. Extremely valuable, valuable information. Bill Lokes is a narcotics and gang instructor for the North Carolina Justice Academy and a guy who obviously knows his stuff on the subject of hemp. If I didn't ask a question of interest to you on this topic or you'd like to get more information in greater detail, Bill can be reached at the West Campus in Edneyville. His email address is accessible right here on the Academy website. Bill, thanks once again for lending us your time and expertise to this podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is great. This is We're actually leading the way by doing this also. This is a wonderful thing. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And as always, stay safe.